I'd invite you to uh, open your copy of God's Word today again to Mark's Gospel, uh, again to chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. I preached on a hard text last week, so I thought I'd preach on an easier one today. Not really, it's just the next one. Uh, but perhaps in, in God's kindness to the church, uh, to his people, uh, he, he sees uh, fit and wise to uh, move between hard and, uh, and easy or difficult and, and, uh, and maybe more encouraging texts. If you're using one of the uh, hardback, black hardback Bibles under a seat in front of you, you'll find Mark chapter 10 on page 794. It'll be in Mark 10, verses 13 through 16. I encourage you not just to find your place to God's Word today, but keep your uh, Bibles open even as we study God's Word so that you can observe in your copy of God's Word what He is doing, what He has said, so that you can make notes there. And, uh, and so uh, just that it will also guide your, your thinking and your affections this morning. Nelson Mandela, the president of South Africa from 1994 to 1999, at one time said, there can be no keener revelation of a society's soul than the way in which it treats its children. To be sure, there's much to that statement. Children are always among the most vulnerable people of any society. They're smaller, they're weaker, they're less educated, they're more trusting, they're easier to abuse, they're easier to threaten, they don't produce much in the way of GDP, they don't vote, they can't run for office, they can't represent themselves in many legal matters. They're dependent on their parents or other adults for food and shelter and clothing. And that's to say nothing of the deeper needs that every child and every human has of love and nurture, discipline and security. The way that we treat these most vulnerable persons says much about the soul of a people. In our passage today, Mark 10, 13 to 16, without saying very many words, Jesus says a lot about the value of children and what we must learn from them if we are to enter the kingdom of God. The main idea of our time in God's Word today is this, that the kingdom of God belongs to all who come to Jesus with simple faith and childlike trust. Like in the hymn that we just sang, the kingdom of, of God belongs to all who come to Jesus with simple faith and childlike trust. As we come to see this truth in God's Word, I hope that we would first find ourselves trusting Jesus with simple and dependent faith, but also that we would go further to exercise the same sort of loving invitation and gracious reception of children that Jesus did as a demonstration of the, uh, the, the Savior's reception of us who have trusted Him. So let's turn our attention to God's Word. Would you stand with me as we honor Him as we read His Word? Mark 10, verses 13 through 16. Mark, the Gospel writer, carried along by the Holy Spirit, writes these words. And they were bringing children to Him, to Jesus, that He might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, He was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to Me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. This is God's good word. You may be seated. The kingdom of God belongs to all who come to Jesus with simple faith and childlike trust. 
The section of Mark that we find ourselves in now is interesting for the fact that over the course of four different episodes, in, uh, from the end of, of Mark 9 all the way through most of Mark chapter 10, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the values that define his kingdom, uh, about how we can know for certain that we are in the kingdom or what kind of life ought to characterize us as we are living in God's kingdom. At the end of chapter 9, Jesus talked to the 12, to his disciples, about what following him looked like. It looks like radical service. It looks like pursuing personal holiness. Then as we saw last week, Jesus is clear about the nature of divorce and and God's divine design for marriage, upending the abuses of unrighteous divorce that the Pharisees had allowed and even advocated. Next Sunday, we'll see a memorable interaction between Jesus and a wealthy young man who wants to follow Jesus where Jesus will give the man a hard word about attitudes toward wealth that his followers must have. But here in our passage today, we get to see Jesus endorse a counterculturally high value on children, much to the disciples' dismay. As we come to verse 13, we see, first of all, a case of discipleship forgotten. A case of discipleship forgotten. This scene in Mark's gospel should capture our attention because it doesn't have, in some sense, any specific setting attached to it. Perhaps it happened in the same place as the conversation that Jesus had with the Pharisees about divorce in the passage before, and I think that's probably a fine way to read it. It could also be that this was an event from a different time in Jesus's life that Mark placed here in this gospel, in this part of the gospel, because of the nearness of the subject of children and marriage. Those two kind of go together. But nevertheless, this scene is set for us. Jesus is out teaching in public, as he often does, and crowds are coming to him, as they often do. But this time, the people coming to Jesus are doing something a little bit different. They're bringing with them their children so that Jesus might touch them. Now, the idea of having a rabbi or a teacher lay his hands on children in order to bless them was was nothing new to these Jewish parents. Uh, and to their families. It was not uncommon to, for, for a rabbi to be asked at a synagogue or, or maybe a priest in the temple in Jerusalem to give a child a blessing, a rather common practice. The word children here that Mark says they were bringing children here, uh, to him it generally refers to anyone that's 12 years of age or younger, so not just infants, although we see at the end of the, the passage that Jesus takes the children in his arms, and that's hard to do with you know, a 12-year-old, depending on their size. But, so they may be mostly smaller, but some may be 12 or, or, or so. I think it's important to understand, at the very least, what the families of these children are recognizing about Jesus. They see him as a trustworthy and godly teacher. They, they view him as, as a rabbi, even though he had no formal rabbinic training. And by requesting his blessing on their children, they're in some way submitting to his spiritual authority and to his capacity to invoke a blessing on their children like any other rabbi would. And perhaps this doesn't come to us as a total surprise because already we've seen Jesus heal a young boy afflicted by an evil spirit in Mark 9. He cast out an unclean spirit from a young Gentile girl in Mark 7. He raised a girl, a young girl from the dead in Mark chapter 5. Jesus has routinely demonstrated a care and concern for all people, including children. What should cause us concern in this first verse, in verse 13, is not what the parents are doing, but rather what the disciples are doing. Mark says that the disciples rebuked the parents. These disciples, for whatever reason, were chastising parents for bringing 
their children to Jesus, for having the audacity to bother their teacher with their children. Maybe the disciples were thinking, like many others, that children were a nuisance. That was a common thought in the day, that they were persons to be seen but not heard. Maybe they're seeking to protect Jesus' time and access so, so that Jesus won't be overwhelmed. There are crowds coming to him all the time, and the disciples may be thinking, listen, he doesn't have time for this. We've got more important things to do. It could be that they are personally annoyed by all these children and parents that are coming, and they just want to move on with their journey. We've got places to go. Stop, stop holding us up. But what's absolutely certain is that the disciples have forgotten already what Jesus himself said about children just a bit earlier at the end of Mark chapter 9. And if you don't recall, just look back to Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 37. There, the disciples, you remember, they were arguing about who was the greatest among them. And Jesus taught them, in, in contradiction to their argument about who was the greatest, that his kingdom is not full of people uh, who are clamoring uh, for their own status, but that his kingdom is full of people who radically serve the vulnerable and those who have no status. And to make his point, you remember, while they were in the house, maybe Peter's house, Jesus took a child, grabbed him up in his arms in front of the disciples and said, whoever receives a child like this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now in verse 13 of Mark 10, these parents, these families are bringing children to Jesus and the disciples did not receive these children, but rebuked them. They've already forgotten what Jesus had taught them not long before about discipleship. When it comes to following Jesus, we must take care to remember what Jesus says about discipleship. If we're going to be his followers, we need to remember what he says about how we ought to act, how we ought to comport ourselves as his followers. We cannot afford to have a short memory when it comes to what ought to mark a disciple of Jesus like the 12 did. Radical service, self-denial, total allegiance to the Son of God, Jesus the Christ. That is discipleship. Receiving the vulnerable with gladness and open arms to acknowledge their value in God's kingdom is an absolute essential for following Jesus. Let us remember these things. I want also to Stop and commend, at this point, parents among us this morning who desire your children to be near to Jesus. And not by just praying for them, though certainly at least that, but by bringing your children to be near to the body of Christ, to worship with the church, to learn His Word in Sunday school and kids' grow groups, to open the Bible for them at home and point them to Jesus. Parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, foster parents, you do well and you do what Jesus delights in when you bring your children to him. So parents who have children sitting next to you today, uh, parents who have children in your arms today, grandparents who are sitting next to grandkids today, well done, well done in bringing your children to Jesus. So we have a case of discipleship forgotten. The, the disciples have a short memory when it comes to what Jesus requires of them. And, and right on the heels of their uh, uh, their forgetfulness, we have in verses 14 and 15 a lesson, another lesson, about kingdom reception. About kingdom reception. And we saw last week that Jesus had a hard word for the Pharisees about divorce. And here he has a hard word for his disciples about who receives the kingdom of God. When Jesus saw the disciples rebuking the children, directly defying his command regarding discipleship and receiving and serving the helpless Jesus becomes indignant. You see that word? 
Verse 14, when Jesus saw it, saw the disciples rebuking the children and the families, he was indignant. Now, that's not a word that I use every day. So maybe a more helpful way to say it is Jesus was annoyed and outraged by what he saw the disciples doing. He is exceedingly angry with his followers. Just like in Mark chapter 8 when Peter tried to rebuke Jesus for saying that he must die and be raised again. And Jesus responded to Peter's rebuke by rebuking Peter saying, get behind me, Satan. So now in response to the disciples rebuking these families for bringing their children to Jesus, Jesus rebukes the disciples. Now just as an aside here, I think there's something to note about following Jesus. That if you choose to follow Jesus, you also choose to make yourself accountable to Jesus. If you choose to follow Jesus, you choose to make yourself accountable to him. And it's important to note that he is not afraid to sternly correct those who claim to be his disciples when they do not act like it or when they directly disobey him. Jesus isn't worried about his disciples' feelings. He becomes indignant and rebukes them publicly. But Jesus' rebuke now is the opposite of what the disciples are doing. They're trying to keep the children away. Jesus says, no, stop it. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. Put no barrier in their way for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So here we get the correction. Stop, let the children come to me. And then a teaching about the kingdom of God. The correction is simple. Jesus says to the disciples, essentially, remember what I said about receiving, vulnerable, uh, about receiving the vulnerable, gentlemen? Now do it. <laughs> Let them come. Receive them. Bring them to me. Don't stop them. And then we see Jesus, as he did in Mark chapter 9, illustrate a kingdom principle by pointing to the children that are coming to him. The principle is very plainly that the kingdom of God is received and entered by those who are like children. The kingdom of God is received and entered by those who are like children. So what does Jesus mean by what he teaches here? That the kingdom belongs to such as these. That no one can enter the kingdom unless he uh, receives it like a child. It may help, first of all, to define again and just remind ourselves of what, what we mean when we say that phrase, kingdom of God. What is Jesus referring to there? Well, the kingdom of God is whatever realm over which God is king, Right? But the kingdom of God is not just a political nation with borders and boundaries. The kingdom of God is a spiritual reality that exists today and existed in Jesus' day in the hearts of those who receive God's king. And will exist, uh, the kingdom of God will exist in eternity in the new heavens and the new earth among all those same people who live there forever with God, among all those who gladly received God's king. Now, already Mark has introduced to us in the very first line of his gospel who Jesus is. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That word Christ means Messiah, means King, God's anointed one. So the kingdom of God is that realm over which Jesus rules as rightful King on earth as in heaven. The kingdom is not just a place. It's a state of one's heart. As Jesus says, it's something to be received and it's something to enter into. And to be a citizen of God's kingdom, one must be in total submission to its king, to Jesus. Amen. Second, it's helpful for us to understand what Jesus means 
when he says that the kingdom belongs to such as these, such as these children that he's receiving. And that it must be received by those who are like children. Now, some in the history of the, of the church over the last 2,000 years, including some early church fathers in the second and third centuries, used this passage, Mark 10, 13 to 16, as a defense for the practice of baptizing infants. And if you're scratching your head trying to figure out just how this passage is about baptizing infants, you're in good company with me because I don't quite see it either. Because children aren't being brought to Jesus to be baptized. They're being brought for him to pronounce a blessing on them. Now, I have uh, friends in ministry who are of paedo-baptist persuasion, Presbyterian and Anglican and such, and we may argue about this, but they get the gospel right, so I'm not going to quibble. We're not going to arm wrestle over that today. But I don't see this passage as speaking about infant baptism. You may have also heard some say that this is a passage telling us that we can be certain that children who die in infancy are saved and will be taken to heaven. And while we could entertain this passage in making that argument from Scripture, we could include this passage in our argument from Scripture uh, toward the end of arguing for infant salvation, this passage really isn't about that directly. Something else is happening here. What it looks like is that Jesus is using children, what it most plainly looks like is that Jesus is using children as an object lesson for the disciples. Well, let's not get too heady about what's happening in this text. It's kind of plain for us right there on the surface. Jesus is using children as an object lesson for his disciples. So how do children then illustrate how we must receive and enter the kingdom of God? Without trying to make direct references to everything about children that Jesus might be referring to, let's simply say this, that receiving the kingdom like a child means receiving it in a manner of total dependence, like a child. Receiving it with a simple faith that, God, that, that it is God's good for us. Entertaining, or excuse me, entering his kingdom with joy as a child ent- enters his, his parents' loving arms. To put it with the help of the, of the hymn that we just sang, that to enter the kingdom like a child is to receive the kingdom with simple faith and childlike trust. That's what Jesus is illustrating by these children. Enter the kingdom with simple faith and childlike trust. Don't forget that, disciples. And receive those, welcome those who have simple faith and childlike trust. Jesus is not just saying that we should be childish in our faith, but childlike. This doesn't mean that faith is ignorant. It doesn't mean that faith is immature or overconfident or naive, but that genuine faith is simple. It knows who to believe and it believes him. Trust is childlike in the sense that it is totally dependent, dependent on Jesus. So Jesus is teaching the disciples by way of illustration through the lives of these children of who can enter the kingdom of God, those who simply trust him and receive him gladly. Children this morning in worship today uh, who may be 12 and under, who may be among the age of children that Jesus is talking to. If you're 12 years old or younger, will you do me a favor? I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise. If you're 12 years old or younger, will you just raise your hand so I can see where you are? Okay, good. Two of them belong to me. All right. Excellent. Good. Kids, I'm talking to you now. If you just raised your hand, I'm talking to you. Hear me, okay? I have good news for you, kids. Really good news for you. That you don't have to be an expert in the Bible. You don't have to have it all memorized. You don't need to be able to write or preach or any of those things that to, in order to come to Jesus. 
You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a Sunday school teacher. You don't have to be an adult yet to come to Jesus. You just need to know that Jesus is the one that you need to trust. That's all you need to know. You only need to understand that Jesus is God's son and the good king of the universe who died on a cross to rescue you from sin. Sin is anything that you do that God says is wrong. Anything that is different from what God says is best for us. And we all sin, kids, myself included. And we all need rescue from our sin. Children, Jesus is our rescue. That's the good news of this passage. And to be rescued from sin by Jesus and to have the promise of joy and life that Jesus gives to us, you don't have to know everything about him. You just have to know that he's the only one who can save you that he's the one who has loved you this way. And kids, to come to Jesus, you just give your whole life to him to be king of your heart. The good news to you kids is that you don't have to be an adult. You don't have to be able to drive. You don't have to be able to vote to come to Jesus. You just need to know that he's the one you need to trust to save you. Sometimes the simplest theology is the best for all of us. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. That's a simple song that has, that has profound meaning, not just for children, but adults for us too. It's important to know that Jesus loves me, and I can know that because God in his word has said so. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red, brown, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Simple theologies, profound when simply stated. Jesus said, if I am lost, he will come to me. And he showed me on the cross, he will come to me for the Lord is good and faithful. He will keep us day and night. We can always run to Jesus. Jesus, strong and kind. Listen, you may not be a child anymore. Most of you aren't. But still, the way to come to Jesus is like this. Just because you've grown up and learned some things doesn't mean that the way to come to Jesus is more complicated, more difficult, more somehow more involved. The way to come to Jesus is still this way. Not by knowing everything, because you can be an expert theologian and you can have no trust in Jesus. It's not by proving yourself, because you can be so accomplished and successful in life and yet take no help from Jesus. You come to Him with simple faith, whether you're six or 96, simple faith that says, Jesus is my only king. You come to him with childlike trust. Whether, you've, whether you're completely dependent on your parents or you're completely independent from anybody else's help, you come to Jesus with childlike trust, saying to him, to whom else would I go, Lord? You alone have the words of life. Friend, what is keeping you from trusting Jesus today? Is it pride? Is it self-assurance? Is it a feeling that faith is just kid stuff? Jesus says that his kingdom cannot be entered by those who do not receive it in a childlike way. This doesn't mean that faith is childish. Rather, it means that genuine faith is simple. It's trusting. It is unselfconscious. It doesn't care what other people think about me. And dependent on Jesus to do what we cannot do for ourselves, to rescue our lives from the pit. 
The disciples forget what it means to follow Jesus, and Jesus reminds them about who it is that enters the kingdom, those who come to him with simple faith and childlike trust. And this passage ends wonderfully with a blessing to those who have simple faith and childlike trust, a blessing for those who trust Jesus this way. I love how this passage ends. After saying what sort of person may enter his kingdom, those who have simple faith, childlike trust in Jesus, Jesus then illustrates in front of the disciples what he does as Messiah and king of God's kingdom for all who come to him this way. He grabs up those kids in his arms and blesses them. Jesus says, this is what I do for those who come to me like this. I bless them. I welcome them. I receive them. Now, I don't know what kind of blessing Jesus pronounced over these children. Maybe something as simple as Numbers 6, 24 to 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Maybe Jesus said something more personal for each child that was brought to him. But the fact remains, Jesus gladly receives and gives his divine blessing and the fellowship of his embrace to all who come to him with simple faith and childlike trust. Jesus does for these children what he does for everyone who comes to him like they have. The picture of what Jesus is doing with with these children is not just for kids. It's for every person who comes to Jesus. He welcomes them. He embraces them. He blesses them with his saving grace and welcomes them into his kingdom. Dear Christian, how well do we follow our king when it comes to the treatment of children? Generally, as a church, I, I would like to say we do fairly well. I'm delighted that our church for its whole existence has included and welcomed children into corporate worship. Kids who are 12 years old and younger today who raised your hands earlier, I'm really glad you're here every week. I love hearing the giggles of our children as we gather. The cries of infants in the middle of a song or a sermon, these are signs of life and signs of loving parents who want their children to be near to Christ and to His body. Blessed little wiggle worms spilling pencils and fruit snacks all around their seat are not barriers to our worship. They are blessings of God among us. Member of First West, the command to welcome children is not just for pastors and ministry leaders. It's not just for Stephen and Danny and Becky, our children's ministry director. The command to welcome children is for all of Christ's followers, every one of us, Christian. I encourage you today, would you, and, not, and do it today, but do it other days too, show that you are not too busy to learn the names of children in our church. Such a thing demonstrates the welcome of Christ among us. When you go out of your way to learn a child's name, even though you don't serve in children's ministry, you don't teach children's Sunday school or children's grow group, would you go out of your way to learn a child's name and demonstrate that, that they are welcome here and that you're glad that they're here? Would you show that you're not too mature to ask about the coloring that they hold in their hand? Showing interest in them like this reflects the way that Christ himself already knows them deeply, demonstrating a desire to know something about them, to rejoice in the things that they rejoice, says something about the Savior you know, who already knows you deeply and has welcomed you. Brothers and sisters at First West, let us show that we do not think ourselves too important to set aside our sermon notes, to ask a young mother or father if they need someone else to hold their child during worship. 
Not even sermon notes will hinder us from bringing children to Jesus. And let us be always glad to stoop down, to look a child in the eye, to return their smile, and tell them that Jesus loves them. For in so doing, we reflect the self-giving Son of God who Himself stepped into humanity, coming down to us to demonstrate the Father's redeeming love for all mankind. When you get down on a knee to look a child in the eye, to learn their name, to show interest in them, to tell them Jesus loves them, you are reflecting the heart of the Father to children who Jesus says, bring them to me, bring them to me. There is no keener revelation of a church's soul than the way that it treats children. It's not enough that we have children's programming, though that's helpful. Let us each, as we obediently follow Jesus, demonstrate the warm welcome that Christ has for children. We who have been received by Jesus ought to love doing nothing less. Our children are listening to what we say. They're observing how we treat them. They're paying attention to what we do in church and whether we're glad to be here or not, (laughs) whether we think it's important or not. Christian, if you think being near to Jesus is something kids ought to do, demonstrate it in your own life. Show them yourself how you are daily coming to Jesus, daily receiving Jesus as King. Help them to know Jesus' love for them and point them to the King that they need and the King that they can trust. Let's demonstrate welcome to children as a church because it's what Jesus does and it's what he calls us to do as we have welcomed him with simple faith and childlike trust. Let's pray together.